Welcome to the We Are Next podcast, advice and insight from all over the advertising industry to help you navigate your career with confidence. I'm Natalie Kim. And I'm Eli Altman, Creative Director at 100 Monkeys. And thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Natalie, and welcome to episode 39. I've been on the road so much the last couple weeks. I think it's been like seven or eight flights in the last two weeks, but totally worth it to meet all the students uh, last week in Seattle and then the week before that in Florida and Ohio. So hello, hello to all the new listeners that came through those trips. It was so amazing to meet you in person. Speaking of meeting in person, yesterday was the first We Are Next and Friends LA meetup and it went so well. I'm just so blown away every time I have one of these and we've only had a couple so far, but We had at least 10 agencies from all over LA represented. No two people worked at the same agency, which was super awesome to see. And there's just so few opportunities for junior talent to come together and meet each other in a comfortable and relaxed setting. And so thank you to everyone who came and spent a little time hanging out with us. Our guest this week is Eli Altman, creative director at 100 Monkeys. Eli joined me via Skype to talk about naming, the importance of having a creative process and being able to guide someone through it, and the book he wrote about running a creative studio. Plus, he had some really great advice in the latter half of the interview about portfolios, deciding between two different roles, and where we should be seeking inspiration. Let's get to it. Enjoy. Eli, thanks for getting on Skype. (laughs) We're doing this remotely. (laughs) Um, You're up in San Francisco, and we connected first through Liam, who I know from ad team at UCLA. I don't know how, I guess you guys probably met through Desma, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we were both in the design program at UCLA. Excited to be here. So let's start at the beginning. I always ask guests how they first got their start in the industry. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you found branding and you know made your start in the industry. Yeah. Started pretty early for me, I guess. Um, my dad ran an ad agency or kind of like a hybrid ad agency, design agency uh, called Altman and Manley. And that's kind of, I was born in Boston and when I was a little kid, we moved to the Bay Area. Um, sort of that's how I, I ended up out here. But, um, you know, soon after that, he kind of decided to go it alone um, and started 100 Monkeys. Uh, the company that I run today. And so um, I kind of just grew up around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, 100 Monkeys has a focus in, you know, sort of writing and, and naming. And so um, I, you know, grew up like naming at the dinner table and in the backseat of cars on road trips. Um, and so I just kind of was immersed in it from an early age and really enjoyed it. Um, and, Thought I wanted to be a designer for a while, uh, so went to design school, um, did that whole thing, and um, you know, then when I was working at a design firm in San Francisco uh, called Meta Design, you know, naming projects would come through, <clears throat> and then I was sort of uh, put in charge of those and found myself, you know, doing more naming, more writing again, moving a bit away from design. And, um, you know, just uh, figured, well, if I'm going to be spending most of my time doing this anyway, I might as well 
really focus on it. Mm-hmm. That's how I ended up back at 100 Monkeys about nine years ago or something like that. All right. So it's sort of like a family. You were like <laughs> brought up with it, like you said. And was design the only thing that, you know, along the way you kind of felt like you might have be pulled towards? Was there anything else as you were like coming up that you thought you might want to do? Or was it just always like in front of you? Yeah, I, I mean, I tried a few things. Uh, I thought I wanted to be an architect until I learned that they, you know, worked a ton and didn't make much money. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I, I tried advertising for about 20 minutes in London yeah. in 2004 or at Gray. Or no, it was like 2007, I think. Um, and that really wasn't for me. And yeah, just kind of kept gravitating towards what I was interested in. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about 100 Monkeys and your role there as creative director. Yeah. So uh, 100 Monkeys is a naming and branding firm based in Berkeley, California. Uh, so just east of San Francisco. We so you know we really specialize in in naming and writing. Um, so we're naming products for big companies, uh, naming newer companies, uh, divisions of new companies. Um, and doing like product architectures. Um, so, you know, if you're coming out with say like a line of nail polish and you need to name a bunch of colors, mm-hmm. um, you know, we do projects like that, or you need to sort of, you have a hundred TVs and you need people to understand which ones are premium and which ones aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, some of that kind of architecture work as well as like top line writing. So, um, you know, key messaging for websites, um, and you know, other kind of collateral like that. Um, and yeah, as creative director, I just kind of oversee the team. Um, I, I focus a lot on our process, uh, how we sort of do the work that we do every day, who fits in where, how people can grow their roles. So when you came into hundred monkeys originally, and this is cause I creeped on your LinkedIn before we sat down to talk as I do, um, you came in, in a strategy role, um, and then have since, you know, transitioned over to this creative director role where it sounds like you're really keeping things running and, and helping growing the team. Was that just kind of like a, like a title change or did your role actually evolve? And I guess what kind of drove, drove that move from strategy to creative? Yeah, I mean, well, I guess first, you know, when you're in a small company, three, four people, um, your title doesn't mean that much. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you can call yourself whatever you want. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, sort of like title inflation and all of these types of things going around or like people doing ridiculous titles to show that they work at a cool company, right. um, you know, instead of a, a stodgy old traditional one. Um, but, you know, I, I think what really drove it for me was about getting into our process before we were, you know, every project was kind of bespoke and we listened and we figured out a plan and we executed it. And it took a ton of energy um, because we were reinventing the wheel every time. And so, you know, I really focused on, okay, well, how can we systematize this? How can we make this a process that we take clients through, which not only has a benefit for them because everybody's clear on like what's coming next, but it has a benefit for us because we know and can train around all of those steps. Mm. Um, So that was kind of the focal point. Um, You know, my father mostly kind of phased out, retired. um, And so the combination of those two things, I think, uh, drove me into 
steering the ship. Yeah. So it sounds to me like there's a parallel between like, I mean, you're at a smaller, um, shop, a smaller agency, um, that that's growing and, and you're sort of not forced into this role, but you know, like the, the number of people that you have and your dad stepping out and like, you know, like you said, you needed someone to kind of step in and steer the ship and start to put processes in place. Um, and I think for people who maybe at our larger agencies who, um, are used to, you know, you get to a certain level where you've like just been doing the work, doing the work, doing the work. And then all of a sudden you're put into this position where, yeah, you have to start thinking a little bit larger picture, um, yeah. you know, helping to make sure you're getting the best work out of other people instead of just you. And sometimes I think that shift can be a little bit jarring, especially when people like aren't feel like they aren't prepared for it. And, and sometimes we are, sometimes we aren't. But um, yeah. that I know that's like, especially when you step into like a creative director role, that title often comes with that, that work that you didn't maybe see coming <laughs> at the beginning of your career. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I came here from, you know, design firms that were sort of in the like 30 to 40 person range. So, you know, not huge, not a big ad agency, but certainly a bit more, um, chess than checkers. Yep. Um, you know, now I'm, I'm playing checkers and I, I like playing checkers. That's, that's good yeah. working, you know, running a small shop. It's like you, can see everything unfolding in front of you. It's not sort of happening in, you know, closed rooms that you don't have access to and, you know, moving at a mile a minute. But like, uh, you know, I think the transition from, from just kind of being a participant, from doing your role to, you know, taking a little responsibility is one of these things that when you haven't made that jump yet, it feels like, well, if I were running this, it would, you know, I would just do it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or, or I would have, you know, I would have structured it this way. And you really see, you know, once you are on the other side of that, you know, that line, like how many variables go into these things, how many things you need to keep your eye on at once. It, it's a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I think the training for those jumps is really anemic at this point. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of places do a good job of training you to step into that role. And, you know, like I felt that to a degree, but, you know, I was in a much smaller situation. It wasn't like there was some protocol, you know, in place, but I, I just kind of solved that anxiety for myself by reading a ton, mm-hmm. um, you know, reading a lot about, um, you know, how to run a business how to be a leader, how to, you know, uh, how to deal with like personality conflicts and just, you know, really got into it and found, you know, just sort of studied that. Like, you know, I would study, um, you know, graphic design or or kind of like more of the creative aspects of it because it's just another thing that you can learn. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. There are a lot of things in life, I'm sure, that are like this outside of just what we do for work, but we don't see ourselves as this role until we've sort of stepped in and are it. And I, I do, I say this all the time, but I think we are capable of so much more than we think. Like we have kind of like this, a lot of us have this like kind of self-limited like ceiling that we put on ourselves until we're forced or, you know, pushed to to do something, not even just outside of our comfort zone, but just this thing that we didn't see ourselves as like a, you know, a manager or like a, a mentor or something like that. And yeah, you're totally right. Like you, um, wait, before you get to that step, it's like, well, not that you don't think you can do it, but it's just like, oh, I, you know, you just don't identify yourself as that. And then all of a sudden you're doing it and, and you just kind of 
for me, it was like when I stepped into a, for me, it was more of like a managerial role, not so much like, you know, leading a shop or anything like that. But it's like all of a sudden you're doing it and, and you realize that everyone is just trying to like do their best and kind of like yeah. do, figure it out along the way. And like you said, like read and, and learn and stuff and, and get advice from people around them. But it, it's really like, I don't know, there's no secret sauce. I think it's just, you just kind of start doing it. And yeah, I wish there was like a little bit more training leading up to it because it, it is a very jarring transition, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. And you expect there to be some sort of large ceremonial transition or some <laughs> big event that means that you've made it. Yeah. It's not. It's boring. It, it like happens and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I am doing that. I didn't think it would feel like this. Right, totally. Um, and yeah, that's, you know, it's a uh, that part of it, I guess, is, is just kind of the existential reality of, of some of these things. But, you know, embracing those opportunities, making the most of them, not relying on, well, I wasn't trained to do this or I didn't know how to do this and just kind of, you know, attacking it and right. going at it and figuring out how to do it. And, you know, even if the people who came before you weren't great at something, figuring out how to be better at it, right. you should chat with them, you know, like really just taking that opportunity taking the, you know, your sort of perceived weaknesses in that situation and working on them, you know, as hard as if you were developing, you know, a, a creative skill, which comes naturally to you at this point. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love that advice. All right. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, naming, which yeah. is primarily what you guys do. I wanted to know what elements you consider when you help a company name something where this, whether it's a suite of products or the, you know the, the name of the company itself I know it's probably different you know for for different projects that come in but can you talk through the quote-unquote process of naming I guess at a high level sure um, there's a lot that goes into it I, I think you know one big split you could make is whether you're creating something brand new um, say like naming a new restaurant, um, you know, that's just kind of standalone and you're creating that, that brand and, and that name and identity from scratch or whether you're naming a product that belongs with a suite of other existing products, um, or whether it just kind of needs to relate to everything else that a company does. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of one functional difference, but I mean, in terms of what goes into it and, and sort of how we approach it, there's a lot. I mean, we, we want to interview everybody who's involved and sort of get a sense for all those factors because we're not experts at whatever our clients do. Right. Um, so we, we need to hear it from them. Sometimes that's very simple. Like if it's a restaurant, you probably want to taste the food, talk to the people what they're doing, you know, what they care about, where they see it going. But, you know, if it's a biotech company or something, you know, we're diving in pretty deep into stuff that we, you know, don't really have a, a background or education in, and we want to make sure we can sort of speak fluently about it um, because that's the world we're fitting in and into and we need to be able to speak that language, you know, to a degree. But, you know, there's all sorts of considerations, everything from positioning, which I think is a primary consideration, how, you know, how do you want people to talk about you um, to just kind of the functional role of a name that, um, you know, a name's a conversation starter. It's not the whole story. You're not trying to draw some ambiguous circle around all of your business activities because right. those could change. Um, you know, it's a way in. It's a way to get someone to ask a question to, you know, to engage with you around what you're working on. Um, 
Then there's all of the functional realities. Can you register this name as a trademark? Do you need to worry about international registration or cultural screening to make sure you're not offending people in other countries? Can you get a URL? Will you be buried behind other people in search? Right. Um, so it's something that like seems like such a just little, it's a word and you pick a word and that's easy. Um, but once you dive into it, I think you pretty quickly realize it's a lot more complicated than that. I love that. I like, yeah, when you brought up all like the like legal, like logistical things, like, yeah, I, I definitely didn't even think about that. Um, it, is it something that you can turn off? Like when you're like walking down the street and you like see things, do you like, does your naming brain keep firing? Yeah, no, I, I can't turn it off. <laughs> um, I have a, I started a thing on, uh, well, it's actually, so like my, I did a book about naming, helping people name their own things called don't call it that. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's also like the, the hashtag associated with it, which is mostly um, just, you know, questionable naming decisions in public. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, I, I love, um, yeah, I love seeing and, you know, enjoy the bad names as much or more than I enjoy the good ones. Um, <laughs> it's, it's once you uh, once you start thinking about it that way, it, it's kind of hard to turn it off. I know. I think I saw one on your last one you posted on Twitter and I was giggling about it. It was like whale squirter or something like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if it was exactly that, but <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like a kid's bat toy. <laughs> All right. What is something that you've struggled with in your career, whether it was, you know, a specific event in the past or an ongoing challenge that, that you continue to work on? I'd love to hear a little bit about it and then, you know, how you've worked to overcome that challenge <laughs> I think my my biggest challenge here is like uh, overcoming a, a perceived and you know sometimes real sense of nepotism mm. um, mm -hmm. that I took over from um, you know from my dad and I think a lot of times when people do that they just sort of are like you know just waltz right into it and uh, don't have to do too much and get protected and get paid. Um, and I, I hate that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I really, you know, kind of had that chip on my shoulder early on mm -hmm. saying that like, no, I need to prove that, um, you know, not only can I do this, that I can make it better, that I can improve it, that I can grow it. Um, because I, I never, you know, I, I wanted you know, I wanted that perception to go away. Yeah. Um, and, you know, during the time when we were working here together and it's like, okay, well, so we show up together, then there's this expectation that I just kind of like sit back and don't do anything. Mm. Um, and, you know, or just like, oh, he brought his son along. That's cute. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I just like that stuff just made my blood boil. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's different now because, you know, it is mostly me so um you know and the team that that i've built but I, I don't have to deal with that aspect of it as much but you know especially when we were working together um that was just like the main thing i was driving at it's just like how do i make that go away yeah well i could see now as you're like 
you know, building the team and especially if your dad's kind of retired and, and it was definitely one of the questions, actually, it was like one of the questions I scrapped from this interview. So I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to yeah. ask about um, not exactly what you were talking about, but a little bit about the experience of working with with your dad. But I'm glad it came up in this way because I think it's a, lo- a much more real way to talk about it. Yeah. But yeah, that you can like make it your own now and, and not have to not like like exist in the shadow. But yeah, there is you're totally right. There is sort of this assumption put on you know people who work for their parents or came in that way and I'm glad to hear that it's like a you don't feel that anymore and that you can just focus on what you're doing your own thing yeah and I mean you know with enough time and effort and energy it's like everybody builds you know builds their own stuff yeah. um, you know but it's just kind of sticking to that every day and using it as a way to stay motivated um you know, those were the, the parts of it that were important to me. So for those interested in going into naming, are there certain skills that they should start to hone? You talked a little bit about the process, but what do you think makes you good at what you do? With naming, there's a few elements of it, I think, you know, from this kind of building blocks level. You know, one of them and probably the most important one is just like a... a love of language Mm. um and so i don't not too many people are successful at this who don't read a lot um and you know read for fun and just kind of read to see what's possible Mm -hmm. in terms of communication and it's not about having a crazy vocabulary or anything like that a lot of people try to come at this from like a linguistics point of view and i think that's garbage (laughs) Um, cause it's not, it, this is marketing. I mean, it, it's about, you know, using words in a, in a way to sort of draw people in and get their attention, get them to engage. It's not about a fancy word that you, you know, that you smash together or, um, you know, some kind of esoteric vocabulary word. It's about engaging with people on their level. Um, but still sort of seeing how to manipulate language, how to use language to create feeling, Mm. um, you know, those elements are crucial and having kind of a, having a love for that from the start, I think is, is really important. Um, you know, the other aspect of it, I think that gets underplayed a lot. And I think this works across, you know, a lot of creative industries is just, um, so much of it is your ability to guide people through a creative process Mm. Um, that, you know, in the end, it's like we're selling words. Um, You know, people pass a sizable chunk of money and their what they get out of it in the end is like a word and (laughs) some language around that. So if you're, if your process is dialed, if you're not taking all of the right things into consideration at the right times, guiding people through that process and really just looking at it from, you know, from a process level, um, you know, you're not going to go far if you're just sharing lists of words with people. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and I think that's that's the same for basically any creative endeavor. You can come up with beautiful work, but if you don't share it with people in the right way, engage mm-hmm. them in the right way around it. Um, you know, understand how their bureaucracy, how their leadership works, how work gets approved at your, you know, clients' organizations, then, you know, you're just 
kind of flapping your arms in the water, hoping to stay afloat. Um, you know, you need to have an approach in those situations. And so, you know, to me, it's, it's kind of the combination of those two things. It's like, this is not art. It, it is, it is business. Yeah. Um, and so the creative element of it is important. And, you know, to me, that's just, I, I, I get at that, you know, through, through literature, through music, um, you know, really just kind of engaging with interesting ways that people use language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the business side of it is actually the part that gets neglected more often than not. Um, and, you know, to me, those are probably the two, two big elements. Your second point is such a great one. And I think it is something that sometimes it's overlooked or, or when you're just starting out you don't think about that side of it where especially with something like naming I and I was thinking about the parallels with you know it, when you're working on advertising which is different but at the same you know I hear I hear it from people who work in advertising too it's like yes you sell it into your day-to-day client but then they have to turn around and, and sell the work into the rest of their organization and how can you help your you know your day-to-day client do that and I imagine with something like naming where it's like either like the name or like the product name it would be even more more, that step is even more crucial where they're going to have to get approval and, and sell it in to, to other people. It's not just one person's decision to be like, okay, yeah, that's what it's called, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, navigating bureaucracy is like the, probably the most unsexy part of, you know, advertising or design or any creative work. But just because it's unsexy doesn't mean it's not important. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of, learning in those situations, figuring out how to get better at that, how to make those meetings better, presentations better. Um, you know, to me, that's, uh, that's how you grow. So at the end of last year, you successfully kickstarted your second book, which is called Run Studio Run. Congratulations. <laughs> that's Thanks. how we originally connected, actually. Um, yeah. And Run Studio Run is a step-by-step guide to growing and running a small creative studio. So I'd love to hear first your inspiration for writing it, and also sort of just a little bit behind the scenes of your process of writing it, just like what that yeah. experience was like. My inspiration for writing it was that I, I had no idea what I was doing um, <laughs> when I, I started to run a business. Um, I, I knew the creative work really well, I knew our process well, but I, I didn't know anything about sort of, um, you know, leading a group of people in a, in a business sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I, I really just, I read a lot and I looked for, you know, book recommendations and I found a syllabus to a, like, you know, Cal, um, business school class. And I just kind of did everything I could to arm myself with the resources to feel like I knew what I was doing. Um, and so, and then to apply all of those things to a creative environment was kind of the next thing that most of these books are written for you know, like law firms and accountancies and startups. Um, And so some of the stuff works. Uh, Some of it works, you know, right out of the box. Some of it needs to be adapted. Some of it doesn't work. And, you know, a small studio is really like the perfect environment for figuring all that stuff out Mm -hmm. Um, because you can iterate quickly. You can implement things quickly. um, And you can, you know, if you're paying attention, you see what works and what doesn't, formalize what works, throw out what doesn't, keep improving. Um, and I mean, in terms of the, the process of writing it, um, I, uh, I read this book by, uh, Cal Newport is an author and he's a computer science professor, I believe at Georgetown. 
and uh, this book's called Deep Work, and it's really just about focus and when you're working on something, not to be kind of working on a bunch of other things or being open to being easily distracted. Um, and so what I did is I would block off like one to three hour chunks where the only thing I would do was write. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would have like a, a sublime text window open on my computer with the Wi-Fi off and my phone away. Um, and like headphones playing, you know, white noise on. And uh, I would just go for it and, you know, and dedicate that time to writing and work hard at it and not think about or worry about anything else. Um, it's kind of meditative in that way. Um, and so, you know, because I'm still running a studio and doing client work and all those things, like I, I couldn't just kind of casually write a book on the side. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I would take, I would take a occasional day away and, and really focus on it. Other than that, I would just get to work an hour or two hours early um, and, and just get to it. And, uh, you know, that process worked pretty well for me. Yeah, I love the idea of reframing the time to work on something outside of work as obviously not just something that you have to do, but like protecting, like time boxing and protecting that time. And, and I love your idea of, you know, make sure the Wi-Fi is off and like the phone's in the other room and stuff like that. So that it, it almost sounds like a luxury. Like if you, you know, if you think about it that way, like, wow, like all I have to do in this time is write something that I, I love doing and that I'm super excited about. I mean, in your case, um, but yeah, to, yeah, just to like give yourself permission to, to do that. Yeah. And, and I, I really try to apply those things to a lot of the work that I do. I do the same thing with naming when I'm naming, I don't do anything else at the same time. I'm a big believer that like multitasking is a myth. Um, and that people who think they're good at multitasking are actually worse at it. Mm. Um, and that, you know, attempting to sort of split your attention over a period of time between multiple tasks really just means that you're giving less attention overall to any of them. Um, and that if you can just sort of block out your time and really get into what you're working on to sort of see the value in it and dive into it as opposed to saying, well, I can kind of like do this and this and this over an hour interspersed with like some Buzzfeed and Twitter. Um, you know, that's not take your work seriously. Like don't, you know, don't do that. That's, Mm -hmm. If it doesn't matter, you know, if it's like meaningless administrative work, then I I don't blame you. Um, but if you're, you know, really trying to like get work done to move your job forward to impress your clients, then focus on it. You know, don't don't take it lightly. Don't think that it's something that you can do while you shop online or read your email. Yeah, I've been become much better at it now having like run where next because sometimes when especially like when you work for yourself, it's just like, oh, there's no one around, no coworkers around me to watch like what I'm doing. And so I've had to be like a lot more vigilant about that with my with myself. It really can only come from yourself. If you as a boss were telling people to do this, you would seem like an asshole. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it really does need to come from you that that like that drive and focus isn't going to come from someone else. Right. Nobody's going to you do that. Right. I'm sure some of uh, the people listening just starting their careers out already know that they want to start their own studio or creative agency someday, in which case Run Studio Run would be a great read for them. For those who are just focused on you know, getting their start, getting their foot in the door, 
Are there any learnings from Run Studio Run that could be kind of translated and applied to someone's individual career? Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the things I did with Run Studio Run was speak to a bunch of people who ran other studios. Because yep. um, I'm, I'm confident that like the way that I do it is not the only way to do it. Um, and so I wanted to talk to a bunch of other people and, and learn about, you know, their experiences and how they got started and, and everything like that. So, um, you know, one of the stories that stands out to me is I was speaking with, uh, Veronica Fuerte from Hay Studio in, in Barcelona. Um, and she was talking about getting started and how, you know, she spent a bunch of time on her own and, and with, you know, one collaborator just basically making the work that she wanted to make before she had the clients. Mm. Um, so just sort of saying, well, these are my ideal projects and this is how I would do them. Um, and, uh, and you know, building something that she could send to people. Um, she thought that the, the sort of physical artifact was really important, especially because now everyone's just like sending PDFs in these emails. Right. Like, junior creative person, here's my portfolio. Um, no, you know, I mean, send something real physical, show that you care about it, you value it, you put time and energy into it. Um, you know, share the work that you want to be doing and that you want to be making. Because I think a lot of people are so willing to like be the chameleon to do what they need to do to get the job. Um, you know, to have that skill or say, oh yeah, I love doing that stuff. Um, and really you should just be focusing on what you love to do. And if what you love to do changes, fine. Um, but, but like, you know, do the work you like, whether you have the client, the job or not, and then, you know, share it in an interesting and compelling way. And, you know, by doing that, Veronica, you know, uh, eventually like heard back from, uh, Monocle magazine, they wanted to do a commission with her. She did that. And then, you know, kind of blew up from there. Um, so, you know, by focusing on what you love to do as opposed to like what you think you need to do mm -hmm. to get a job, um, you're going to benefit, you're going to get more work out of it, you're going to be more passionate about what you're doing, spend more time on it because it's not going to feel like work. Yeah, I, I think the opposite is true too. It's like don't put anything in your book that you like really don't want to work on. Like I, people, <clears throat> I think this is, I mean, not to like shit on banner ads or anything like that, but that's like a very common example. It's like if you don't want to be working on banner ads or social assets, like don't put those in your book because yep. what do you think they're going to hire you for? Like that's like a lot of what's in your portfolio or the work that you're showing. And so I think that that's really salient advice. Yeah, I had uh, in at you know, at UCLA Design School, this professor, um, Cameron McNall, who's an architect, and he said, uh, never let anyone know that you're good at making models, um, because then all you're going to end up doing is making models. Yeah. Um, so he was even going as far as to say, like, intentionally be kind of shitty at it. Right. Um, <laughs> so that, because that, that's a dead end, you know, that's a dead end. How far are you going to get by making architectural models of other people's designs? Right, right, right. 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 far so don't be so great at it so you don't get stuck doing that and you can focus on you know making work that progresses your career right yeah i think that that's so key like just yeah putting what you want to do and i guess one thing that's hard i was talking to another student um yesterday about this like not really knowing exactly like what type of work you want to do when you're starting out where it's like yes like i totally agree with your advice like you shouldn't present yourself as a chameleon per se, but um, I think it's hard sometimes for people to 
they feel like they're cutting themselves off from certain things if they say, okay, I'm going to be, and I'm talking, I guess, more about like roles versus like types of work that they're doing, but you know, they, they, they like doing media, but they also like doing strategy and they, you know, and, and it's hard for them to kind of just like pick a lane. Um, and I do think, you know, beginning in your career, it's like, there's time for experimentation, especially when you're a student and you're doing internships. I think that's kind of what those are for (laughs) so that when you graduate, you can have a little bit of clearer idea, but you know, um, Anyways, it just made me think of that conversation as well. And also just, you know, I think my advice in that situation is just to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you can spend so much time vacillating over, like, what you could do or should be doing. And, you know, think about what's in front of you. Make the best decision you can. And if you realize, hey, I made the wrong decision. I would rather be doing that thing instead of this. Yeah. Then, you know, switch lanes then. But at least at that point, you'll be switching lanes with the knowledge of what it's like to actually do the thing as opposed to some sort of mental exercise where you're imagining what those two fields might be like. Yes. Oh, that's such good advice. I think I love that. That's a really good answer. So let's wrap up. We're going to talk about the best piece of advice that you've ever been given, which is how we end every episode. Yeah. I mean, a a few things stand out to me. My dad, when, uh, when I was a little kid and he was like working in his office, I think he was just kind of joking around. I was probably seven or eight, and uh, and I said, uh, "You're weird," and he said, "Yeah, I know." Um, and uh, kind of like light bulb went off for me there, like a little kid one, like, "Oh, yeah, it's you know, it's inter- like it's interesting to be weird. Yeah, um, it's cool to be weird. I, I think that." you know, that really stood out to me. Another thing, um, just like I remember on, on the first day of design school, I, I had a professor tell me that good design is stealing without getting caught, mm-hmm. uh, which gets to like this, this kind of, you know, I've kind of run into that type of advice a lot. And I think the best distillation I've, I've heard of it, um, is you are only as good as the obscurity of your sources, mm. um, which is to say that like, you know, get into weird shit, <laughs> find, find interesting resources, find things that people aren't looking at, aren't taking seriously, aren't paying attention to. And the more that you can dig into those types of things, the more your work is going to feel unique and different because, you know, everything is derivative, right? Yeah. So instead of sitting in front of a blank canvas and trying to create something that's never been created before, mm-hmm. just find weirder resources. Yeah. Um, find things that people aren't pulling from. So that's, uh, that's it. I think that's so true with, uh, I think when I talk with, especially like strategists, but also creatives, just in advertising, like the other stuff that we do outside of advertising, like that's really like the kindling for our ideas. So it's like you, of course, you're not like lifting directly this thing that you saw in, you know, this other industry, but um, you kind of like stashing it away, like, in you and it it kind of combines with other things that you've seen and to your point like if we're all just like staring at advertising itself like the the fruits of it as resources for the work that we continue to do I mean you can see how same same like our industry would become and I think that's some of the danger in like propping up award shows and stuff like that and then kind of that navel gazy part of advertising and marketing that a lot of people talk about that, you know, we, we should be drawing inspiration from things that are outside of what we create. Yeah. And especially, you know, I mean, with advertising specifically, it's that, that there's all of this crazy stuff at the periphery of advertising, like 
you know, weird stuff people are putting on YouTube or, um, like I'm reminded of like these, all these like odd Craigslist ads that people have done for like their old yoga mat or sell their old Volvo. Um, you know, these things that really turn into these kind of like, you know, passionate supports of like of certain products that just don't feel like advertising. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think within advertising, you know, not feeling like advertising, I think is probably one of the best compliments you can bestow on something. Right. Um, so how do you feel not like advertising? Well, you get resources that aren't advertising. Right, right. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time this morning. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I feel like I learned a lot, seriously, like about naming in general. Like I didn't, I mean, I think a lot of people think they know what naming is. And then I, I don't know, this conversation was super illuminating for me. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we got the chance to talk. It was fun for me too. So where can people keep up with you online? Oh, on the internet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're at a hundred monkeys.com. Um, we're on, on Twitter and Instagram, uh, the same, same deal at a hundred monkeys spelled out. Um, I'm on Twitter at Eli Altman, E L I A L T M A N. And then my books you can get, uh, at, uh, don't call it that the naming, naming workbook is at don't call dot it slash that. Uh, thank you Italy for that. <laughs> And uh, and run studio runs at runstudiorun.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Eli for sharing his experience and learnings. I especially love his attitude in the interview, but I'm sure in his day to day as well of just, I don't know everything, but I'm willing to put in the time to learn. I think that's so great. Definitely check out runstudiorun.com. The book is available for pre-order now. So if you are interested, it's there for you as a resource. You guys, I'm going to be on vacation next week, if you can believe it. <laughs> we are going to be in the Basque region in Spain doing a little road trip for a week. So I'm going to preset everything and pre-record next week's podcast intro and outro. So it might not be, if anything crazy happens next week and I don't respond to it on the podcast, you'll know why. The only thing that won't be able to be updated in real time is we are next jobs, but I think I'm going to just refresh the listings on Friday instead of Sunday. So it'll refresh a couple days early so that you guys can still have fresh links for the week instead of the ones from last week. Other than that, I'm going to try to stay offline while we're gone. So you won't hear much from me on social, but if you are a subscriber to the weekly listener to the podcast, if you frequent the job board, you can help me out help. We are next out by sharing any of the three next week while I'm gone in my place. <laughs> and I appreciate it in advance. Advice is so much better shared. Leave us a review on iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. And while you're at it, sign up for our weekly email. It's a small dose of advice and insight delivered Mondays. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. I'm Natalie, and until next time, you got this.